What's up, Monmouth Christian Church? Man, it's so good to actually be with you today. It's great to be with all of you in the room. It's also great to be with all of you that are online. And some of you, I'm sure they introduced me, but some of you are like, who is this guy? Man, in 1998, um, I had just graduated from college, and I got hired at Monmouth Christian Church as a youth pastor there. And uh, it was my first youth ministry. I was green. Man, you guys had so much patience with me. But there was a lot of really fun, formative times um, there at your church. And I laugh because I kind of look at some of your staff now, and I just remember that some of them were in my youth ministry. And so you've got Seth Halligan, who's on your staff, and uh, Seth and his brother Zach were there in the youth ministry. And then, crazy enough, your senior pastor came into our youth ministry at about eighth grade, middle school sometime frame. And then when I left, um, he was, I think, a sophomore um, in high school. And I was just amazed. I remember leaving and heading to a different church. And Sean jumped in and just became, as a freshman in high school, started leading and doing so many different things in the youth ministry. And you guys saw that leadership. He goes away off to college. He comes back. You hire him as a youth pastor. And then that story goes on. And now he's your senior pastor of your church. And it's just amazing to see how much God has done at Monmouth Christian Church and through him and through the other leaders there. And for all of you that I know, it's just great um, to actually be with you today. Now, a lot of time has passed. I remember when I left Monmouth, um, had no kids. I was married to my wife, Jen, and uh, we actually have four kids. You can see that picture right now. And um, Grace is our oldest. She's 18. Maddie is uh, our second. She is 16. Then we've got Jake, who's 12, and we got Luke, who's 10. And we are at Rocky Mountain Christian Church um, in the kind of the North Denver area, suburbs of that, and uh, just an awesome place. Enjoy it a ton. And I'm super glad to be with you today. I want you to get to John chapter 18. We're going to look at one verse in Matthew, and then we're going to get to John 18 and talk about the story there. But when I was seven years old, a guy named Red bought me a horse. I, I, Red and Ann, they had this ranch. It was in Bartlesville, Oklahoma area, and it was this big, sprawling, beautiful place. All kinds of animals on it. They had horses. They had cows. They had even buffalo on this ranch. And I remember I showed up to this barn. I'm, I'm seven years old. Everything looks big to me in the world. And, and I walk into the barn, they open the door, and there's this huge horse. It wasn't actually a huge horse, but I'm seven. It looked massive. And it's got this big red bow on it. It's saddled up. It's ready to go. And Red looks at my dad and he says, it's Sean's. They picked me up, they threw me on that horse, and, and I had never ridden a horse before. It was so exciting. It's a beautiful auburn-colored horse with this black mane, and, and so that horse became mine, and Red would keep it on his property, and I would come out and take care of it. The interesting thing about the horse was is that it wasn't actually the nicest horse. It, it came with this name, Sugar. The name was Sugar, but there was nothing sugary about this horse. I mean, it was as spicy as you could get, and so we would go out to ride the horse. My dad had grown up on a farm. And so he had, was very comfortable around animals and horses and that. And, and this horse, for some reason, I don't know if it had been abused or whatever, but as soon as my dad would walk out in that pasture, he'd have the reins in his hands, that thing would bolt to the other side, the other corner. And we'd go out to that corner and try to get this horse, and it would run to the other side of the pasture, and it was just out of control. That thing was going everywhere. And so finally what my dad would do is he would send the seven-year-old with sugar cubes in his hand, or some carrots in his hand, and I would go out with that bridle, and I would grab the horse, and I would bring it in, and we'd try to ride it. Now, interesting enough, it would do pretty well when I would ride it, but when an adult would get on this horse, it was out of control. My dad would jump up on that thing, and immediately it would take off. It would try to run him under tree branches, trying to brush him off. This horse was powerful, and it was absolutely out of control. 
Interesting though, is Red had a horse. And Red's, Red's horse, my, I thought my horse was big. Red's horse was a few hands taller. It was this beautiful rust color with the, the kind of blonde mane. I mean, it was the most gorgeous horse you'd ever seen. And Red would get up on this thing and you can imagine John Wayne. I mean, he was this big old guy. He would get on this horse and he would take that horse out and it was just beautiful and it was controlled all the time. And it would just, every command he would give it, it was an awesome thing to watch. So he would push cattle with that thing. He pushed a buffalo around with that thing. And I would always look at it and say, why does my horse do that, right? Red's horse was this beautiful picture of power under control. My horse was this picture of power, but that power was absolutely out of control. We've all seen powerful things. I live just up the street from Colorado National Speedway and you go down the speedway and you watch those NASCARs get out there and man, all those RPMs under that hood, I mean, it is powerful. And when it's going around that track and you see guys passing each other and it's under control, it's a thing of beauty. It's amazing to watch. But as soon as somebody bumps into somebody else and that power gets out of control, man, it is destructive. And the same is true with you and me. Man, God has created every single one of us and he's given us strength. Some of you, it's strength of intellect. Some of you, it's physical strength. Some of you, it's just strength of your personality. But every single one of us has been gifted by God with strength and that strength under control is something to behold. It's beautiful. It's purposeful. It can build things. It can heal things. It, it takes care of, it, it builds the right kind of things in our world. But that kind of strength, as soon as it gets out of control, it becomes destructive. And we've all seen this in relationships. It can be destructive to marriages, to parenting, to friendships, to work relationships. Power under control is good. It's what God intended. Power out of control is destructive. Matthew chapter five, verse seven is a verse that comes out of Jesus' most famous sermon. It's a sermon on the mount. He's standing on a mountaintop, he's preaching to the people, and he basically says, here's my instructions for life. Here's what I, I want you to understand. In the very beginning of that sermon, the first eight verses, Jesus gives eight statements where he talks about, here are they're what's called the Beatitudes. And each Beatitude gives a command that's associated with character. And people have talked about the idea that there are the 10 commandments in the Old Testament, but then there's the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are even much harder to obey because the Ten Commandments, they're just actions. What we're talking about in the Beatitudes is character traits. It's the deep inner things in our heart and in our soul that actually come out through our actions. And Jesus says this at the beginning of that sermon. He says, blessed are the meek, for the meek will inherit the earth. Let me say it again. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is the least admired character quality in our culture. Like, I think you know that. It's the least admired character quality in our culture. There's all kinds of thoughts and ideas that come into your mind when we say the word meek. But here's the deal. I think it's the least admired character quality because I think it is the least understood character quality in our culture. Dictionary defines meek as this. A person who is meek is docile, overly compliant, spiritless, yielding, or tame. How would you like to be described that way? Webster's uh, Dictionary defines it this way. It says, mild, deficient in courage, submissive, and weak. When you think about it, we live in a world that's dominated by power. 
And we take the powerful and we promote them. We, we acknowledge power. We reward power. We reward strength. No one in our culture wants to be called meek or have the idea of weakness associated with them. But here's the interesting thing. When Jesus is standing up there preaching this message to a crowd like all of you, actually it's a crowd that's massive, it's huge. To that crowd, he preaches, there's no one in that crowd that understands the word meek as weak. You see, the New Testament is written in the Greek language. The original language was in Greek. And so the word for meek is the word pros. And the actual idea for pros is strength or power under control. I mean, we just talked about that. It's the idea of powerful, something powerful, something strong. It is strength, but is, is that idea of being under control. But the idea is not just under control in every area of life. It's really in the relational context. As you relate to other people, it's the idea of strength under control. And the illustration, interesting enough, that's used all throughout Greek writings is a horse. And not just any horse, it's the idea of like, like a war horse. So think gladiator. If you've seen the movie Gladiator, the first scene, they're getting ready to fight the barbarians. They're in the forest. And you see all these horses, these Roman soldiers on top of these war horses that are just girded in battle. They're battle ready. They've got armor on. You can see them snorting. You see the mist coming out of their nose. Like they are raring to go. It is strength that is under control of that soldier. And when he says go, they go. That's the exact idea we're talking about here. It is the idea of power under control. And what's interesting is that Jesus, who's the strongest and greatest person in history, describes himself as meek. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, he says, learn from me because I am meek and humble in heart. Jesus is saying, hey, learn from me because I will teach you what power under control in your relationships looks like. I want you to turn to John chapter 18. There's a beautiful passage. It's actually a very difficult passage. It's all about betrayal and difficulty, but it is a passage where Jesus shows power under control. Context is this. They've just come out of the upper room. The disciples and Jesus have had their last meal together, the Passover meal. It's less than 24 hours before the crucifixion. And Jesus takes his disciples to a familiar place, the Garden of Gethsemane, to pray. Here's what happens, verse two. It says, now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out to them and he asked, who is it that you want Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the betrayer was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. I want you to catch the picture here. Like almost just take yourself, I want you to put, you, put yourself in the scene, on the side, almost like a movie. And I want you just to watch this. The Garden of Gethsemane was kind of an olive grove. Set on a hill, part of the uh, garden was up on top of the hill that went down and there was a big ravine that went out to Jerusalem. You can see the walls that surround Jerusalem. The picture would be that Jesus would have been praying in this olive grove. He'd have looked down and his disciples would have seen the torches that were coming, 
these Roman soldiers, they knew what was happening and Jesus gathers up his disciples that are with him and he says, let's go, my betrayer's here. He walks out and says, there's a detachment of soldiers coming with him. How big's a detachment? A Roman detachment of soldiers or cohort of soldiers was about 300 to 600 men. Now understand what's going on here. Judas knows this is a place that Jesus goes that doesn't have the normal crowds around him. This is where he goes to be quiet, to get away. So it's just the 11 disciples and Jesus. And so he doesn't bring 300 to 600. I imagine what he probably brought was 50 to 75 Roman soldiers, all of them ready for battle. Jesus is pretty popular, has a lot of people usually around him. So it might, this, this is most likely the Passover evening, families are at home. There's probably not a crowd, but just to be safe, he brings 75, 50 to 75 men. And there's another 20 to 25 Pharisees and teachers of the law that are with him. And they walk up. Jesus walks out to meet them. He doesn't run. He doesn't hide. He walks out to meet them and he says to them, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says it again, who are you looking for? And he says, we're looking for you. And when he says, I am he, there's something about Jesus' persona, there's something about his, his body language, his voice, something, whatever it is, power went out from him. And it says that they fell back on the ground. hundred men just fall back on the ground and Jesus standing there. We're not talking about somebody who's weak. We're talking about power that just blows off of Jesus in the moment. And these men get back up and Jesus says to them, he says, okay, you're here for me. Would you let my disciples, would you let my followers go? And in this moment, Jesus is trying to take care of them. And for some reason, you can just see it like a movie. For some reason, Peter just reacts in the moment. I mean, you can see it just slow motion. I mean, he like rips back his cloak. And you see him grab his sword and Peter swings for the fences. There's a servant that's standing in front of him. His name's Malchus, he's the high priest servant. Peter grabs his sword and he swings for the fence. I mean, he is trying to take this guy's head off and he misses. Well, not actually misses. He doesn't behead the guy, but he takes his ear off. Ear falls right at the feet of Jesus. And in that moment, what you see is probably if you're watching that movie, in that moment, what you'd think is, man, Peter's the assertive one. Peter's the one that's like showing the power here. He's trying to take care of something. But in that moment, all Peter's actually doing is he's reacting emotionally. Like he's reacting out of fear of what's gonna happen to him. He's gonna lose his own skin. And right there, Jesus doesn't react. Jesus responds. And he says, Peter, stop. And what's interesting about the passage is Jesus refers back to what's happened a couple, years, or a couple of hours ago. He says, Peter, stop. Didn't we talk about this? In the upper room experience, they're having this conversation. He says, I'm gonna be arrested and I'm gonna be tried and I'm gonna be crucified. And what the disciples say is Peter says, Jesus, should we start gathering swords? Like getting ready to fight. And Jesus says, no, those who live by the sword die by the sword. We're gonna fight this battle in a different way. I just said, we're gonna fight it with a cross. We're gonna fight it with a death. And then we're gonna fight it with a resurrection. And something much bigger is gonna happen. We're gonna fight this battle in a far different way, Peter, than you could ever imagine it happening. And in that moment, Jesus responds and he probably saves all of the disciples' life. Like Peter's reaction is gonna get them all killed. You know, in that moment, when he pulls that sword, Roman soldiers are pulling those swords, the other disciples are pulling those swords and Jesus steps in the middle and he says, stop. 
Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Peter, we talked about this. And then Jesus bends down, grabs the ear, goes over to Malchus, who you know is sitting there holding on, afraid for his life, not knowing what happened. He's in shock. And Jesus pulls his arms away, puts the ear back on, and every single person in that garden knew who was in charge. They knew in that moment who the powerful one was. They knew in that moment who was the one who was in control of the situation. Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53 says this, don't you think, he heals him and he looks at Peter and he says, don't you think that I could call on my father and he would at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say that it must happen this way? A legion of Roman soldiers was 6,000 men. Jesus was saying, guys, there's like 75 to 100 of these guys out here. Don't you think right now that, that I could call 70 to 75,000 of God's fiercest angels to come down and wipe them out and wipe the entire Roman government out and just establish all the things you think are gonna happen, but then it wouldn't happen the way it's supposed to. We wouldn't accomplish what's actually supposed to happen. Peter reacted and almost got everybody killed. Jesus responds and he ends up saving the world. You see, meekness is power under control and meekness actually communicates strength. In every single situation through the rest of the story where it looks like when Jesus puts his hands out and he says, put the handcuffs on, when he goes to the cross and he says, Father, forgive them as they're hurling insults on him and he stretches his arms out and he's crucified, it looks like weakness, it looks like losing, but even the Roman soldier that stood at the bottom of the cross said, he must be the son of God. There's something powerful about this man. You see, meekness communicates strength. Meekness is power under control. I want you to see two applicational things really quickly that I think really mean something in a world for us, a world that is at war. It's a world that's at war politically. It's a world that's at war relationally. It's a world that's at war socially. It's a world that's at war literally in so many areas. And it doesn't seem to be getting better. This idea of meekness, I think it is one of the most important things and characteristics that we need to show as Christians right now. There's two things that stand out about Jesus in this passage is this. Number one, meekness knows when to restrain strength. Meekness knows when to restrain strength. The difference between a weak person and a meek person is that a weak person can't do anything. A meek person can do something, but in the moment, instead of reacting, they respond. They realize that they could do something, but in this moment, maybe they shouldn't, and they should hold back, be patient, and show that strength under control. Jesus restrained his strength. He could have called down 12 legions of angels, but the purpose that he came for would have been derailed. The ultimate goal would not have been accomplished. And I think for us, what feels powerful, I don't know about you, but what feels powerful, what feels assertive in the moment, there's so many times where, where somebody might be coming back in, at me, what feels powerful in the moment is to get defensive and to say, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And so many times for you, 
when you're in the heat of the battle in the moments, whether it's with your kids, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with a boss, whether it's with a coworker, whatever it is, what seems powerful is just to bow up, to kind of step up, to get in somebody's face. Somebody accuses you of wrong and you say, but you, you turn it back on them. You're parenting your kids. They get a little bit disrespectful. You're getting frustrated and you say, shut up. And we just dive in and we just exert that strength. Somebody's pushing your buttons at work. You may not be able to say it straight in front of them, but you start talking behind their back. You start manipulating. You start working things and trying to exert your strength and your influence. Somebody cuts you off in traffic and we're quick to... What feels powerful is to power up. But the problem is that when a person uses their power to power up and to push someone else down. What that actually is, is it's weak. That's what's actually weak. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his own spirit than he who captures a city. Conversely, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. I'll give you a picture of somebody who could not restrain themselves, an athlete from my era of athletes when I was younger. I'll give you a picture. I'll just say a name and here's what I want you to do. I want you to say out loud, all right? I want you to say out loud the first thing that comes to mind when I say this athlete's name, Mike Tyson. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Now you could say greatest puncher of all time. I mean, Muhammad Ali is the greatest boxer of all time, but the most powerful puncher of all time is Mike Tyson. But I guarantee you 90% of the room didn't say most powerful puncher of all time. What's the thing that comes to mind when you hear Mike Tyson is biting people's ears off. It's face tattoos. It's that kind of stuff. Evander Holyfield, title bout. They're in there, they're fighting, and man, Evander Holyfield is giving it to Mike Tyson. They're tied up. Tyson is feeling, he knows he's losing the fight, and what does he do? He bites his ear. And not only does he do it once, he does it twice. A couple rounds later, same thing's happening. He's just kind of flustered, doesn't know what to do. He's tied up with him. He bites half Evander Holyfield's ear off. And if you just step back and you look at Mike Tyson, it's a pattern of life. About a month ago, Mike Tyson is on a flight. Now understand the guy behind Mike Tyson was egging him on. He was messing with him. He was trying to get a video of something, but he takes Mike Tyson off. And what does he do? He jumps over the, up over the top of the seat. And if you've seen that video, he is just wailing away, just like he's in a title fight because he can't control the strength that he'd been given. You see, meekness is something opposite of that. Meekness is the idea of understanding when to assert your strength and understanding when to restrain your strength. And here's the issue. In your life, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your relationships, there will be stories that will be told about you. Mike Tyson, what do you remember? What I remember is him biting Evander Holyfield's ear off. My question to you is, what stories do you want to be remembered about you? 
Early on in my marriage, the story would have been this. Anytime my wife brought something to me that she was hurt about or frustrated about or angry about, I would get very defensive. I would get very defensive and I would have a hard time restraining my strength. I wouldn't yell and scream, but I was defensive and I would come back, but you, or hey, but you did this. And no, here's what I meant. And I would get intense and it just created distance with us. That was the story. What's been interesting in later in life and through some counseling, learning to be able to understand how to communicate and to work through and to hear and to realize when she communicates with me, it's her turn, it's not my turn. And to be able to listen and ask questions, say, hey, babe, Jen, help me understand that more. How'd that make you feel? And what it does is instead of distance, it creates connection. And sometimes we need to understand how in the heat of the moment to restrain our strength for the sake of connection with other people. The second thing I think that you see with Jesus is that is so good is is that meekness knows when to assert its strength. Meekness knows when to restrain it, but it also knows when to assert it. And what's interesting in the Old Testament version of the idea of the Hebrew word of meek and the New Testament version of the idea of the Greek word meek, with the Greek word, there's this idea of gentleness, but it's the idea of gentleness and power combined, not for the sake of yourself, but for the sake of other people. You see, this idea of meekness is that a meek person puts themselves in second place. Meekness is the antithesis of self-interest and self-assertiveness. The person who is meek, they're not weak. They don't hold back and, and restrain or they don't lean in and assert for the sake of themselves. They do it for the sake of other people. What we're talking about is the people on the top with the power using their strength to help people who are not. And in our culture, we've got a massive issue, an incredibly difficult issue with people exerting their power for themselves. People not even knowing how to assert their power in a way that honors other people. And you see it in domestic abuse issues. You see it in school and mass shootings. You see it in bullying in our schools and on social media. You see it in sexual abuse cases of people who are in power and racial violence and political violence. Anytime someone else uses their power, asserts their power to diminish someone else, that's weak. Strength, being like Jesus, is asserting our power for the people who are on the bottom to bring them up to a top. Meekness is knowing when to assert your strength and it's knowing when to restrain your strength. And here's the deal. What's interesting about the Beatitudes is every Beatitude has a blessing. So there are eight of them and every single one, Jesus says, blessed or blessed are those who live out this character quality. And then it says what the blessing will be. And in Matthew chapter five, verse seven, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. It's a direct quote. It's actually a direct quote from Psalm um, 3711 that says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, in the Hebrew, the idea of land is the same for earth and vice versa. And that means nothing to you. You're like, okay, great, we're gonna inherit the earth. What does that actually mean? Well, if you are a Jewish person historically, way back in history or even now, that means everything to you. Like when I traveled to Israel and we sat down with Jewish people, they talked about two things, the law and the land. 
And I think the land was more important than the law to them. Because if you think back, that's one thing that they have had to fight for their entire history. They came out of Egypt. Moses brings them out of Egypt. Pharaoh lets them go. And where are they headed? They're heading to a land that God had promised them. They had to wander in the desert for 40 years trying to just think about and get to that land. Then they get to that land. They have to fight to take it. Then you take their history now. What are they fighting for? To keep and to expand their land. To Jewish people, land was everything because it was opportunity and it was influence. What Jesus is saying is the meek, those who are power under control, that know how to assert it and know how to restrain it at the right times. Those are the people who will gain influence and opportunity. And you know that's true. Because those are the people who get promoted. Those are the people who get lifted up in our society. Those are the people that we look at and say, wow, I want to be like that person. I wanna be like them in their parenting. I wanna be like them in their leadership. I see that in their marriage. There is something special about those people and influence and opportunity seem to come to those people. Now, where is it to you? In a world that's at war with each other, like you see it everywhere in society, where is it that you need to step back and become meek in some areas and exert your power or restrain your power in a controlled way? Is it in your relationship with your spouse? Like, are you feeling it inside right now because you know your spouse is saying, yeah, my husband or my wife deals with a temper. They cannot restrain their tongue. Is it with your kids because it, you love your kids to death, but you just don't have the patience that you want to have? Is it at work if you had a couple blowups? Or is it maybe at work that you need to assert some strength? assert it in some controlled ways, or maybe in your marriage, you need to initiate some things and some conversations that need to happen. Where is it that you need to be a meek person who is power under control? And what would that do? I got a buddy named Jack, who's one of my best friends, and Jack's an elder at our church. And um, interesting thing about Jack is Jack is, uh, he's about six, one or two, and uh, he's about as wide. <laughs> I mean, Jack is a massive guy. And it's massive in the idea of muscle. I mean, this guy is a bodybuilder. He's huge. And so when you meet Jack and you connect with, your Jack, with Jack, you're like, whoa, that is a big, big guy. He is ripped. Jack was driving home the other day and there was a guy that was behind him and Jack was driving and um, he had accidentally, it was an accident, but he had accidentally cut the guy off. And the guy chased him. He followed him, weaving in and out, cutting in front of him, behind him, coming close to him, trying to just like intimidate him with his car. It was like road rage going on. Jack drives all the way home. He lives in a gated community, he pulls up to the gate. He doesn't open the gate and he jumps out. And the guy, as soon as the Jack's car stops, the guy pulls up around front of him and jumps up out of his car and he's coming around the car, ready to throw down with Jack. <laughs> Jack opens his door and he stands up and this guy realizes how big Jack is and he like steps back behind his car but he is yelling obscenities. He's yelling, he's just effing him off all over the place. He's saying all this stuff, calling him names. And Jack's looking at this guy like, what is in the world? And Jack could literally pound the guy. And he looks at him and he says, I don't know what to do, Sean. I just looked at him and said, hey, bro, I can't hear you. And the guy looks at him and just effs him off a few more times. And he says, hey, bro, I can't hear you. And the guy's like, you can't hear this? And he flies a couple more words at him. He says, no. Through all the screaming and the anger, I can't hear you. And the guy stops. And Jack just took the opportunity. He said, dude, 
if I cut you off or I did something, I'm really sorry, dude. I apologize. Is there anything I could do to help you? And the guy just looked at him like, are you freaking serious? And Jack said, yeah, I, is there anything you need? He said, I really am sorry. It looks like you had a bad day. And the guy just paused and he's like, I did. And then he looks at Jack and he doesn't know what to do. And he goes, F it one more time. And he jumps back in his car and he leaves. The dude did not know what to do. And here's what I know in this world is the world doesn't know what to do with a group of people that will show that kind of strength, that will show that kind of restrained strength to say, you know what? There's something going on in your life that's bigger than what's going on right now. And I'm gonna restrain myself and I'm gonna show you some grace. What would happen? What would happen in your life and your parenting and your marriage and your relationships and your job if you walked in and you were a picture of strength under control? Better yet, Monmouth Christian Church, what would happen if this entire group of people that's listening online and in person today lived that way in your community? It would be noticed there would be some people who would stop and just say, I don't know what to do with that. And they may not treat you well in the moment, but they would walk away saying, I need something like that. I need what that person has. You see, 2,000 years ago, there was a group of men, 11 men, that there were there with Jesus in the garden. They saw power under control go to a cross. They saw people yell and scream at him and make fun of him and spit at him. And they saw him, John saw him and reported this, that Jesus looked down and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then they saw him rise from the dead and it changed their life and they began to live the characteristics of Jesus and it changed history. And I think it could happen again. Monmouth Christian Church, what could you do? For that husband out there, for that wife out there, for that kid out there, that young adult out there, what could you do? What could you show a world that needs to see strength under control? I think that kind of strength might just go viral in your community. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you right now. And Father, we are in a world that's at war, that's struggling, and it needs people of peace that will show their strength in the right way. And so, Father, I pray for this church that we will be that. I pray for this church that they will show that in their community and their families. And, Father, I pray that it will go viral in their community and it will draw people to Jesus. So, God, we love you. We ask for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.